0: Hi everyone, welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, a Cinelinks podcast, a podcast where we invite marginalized authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. I'm your host, Steve Dunk, and thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter, of course, at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. And so, without further ado, let's get the show on the road and meet today's guest. Welcome to the show. As is always the case, we will continue to encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face to face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. Just a reminder that March is Women's History Month, which is supposed to be an opportunity to learn about the important contributions of women and girls to our society and to the quality of our lives today. Not sure why we can't do that all year long, but so be it. More importantly, March 8th, which is International Women's Day, is also the release date of the newest book for my next guest. Also happens to be my birthday, so plenty of reasons to celebrate. Anna-Marie McLemore writes magical realism and fairy tales that are as queer, Latine, and non-binary as they are. Their books include The Weight of Feathers, a 2016 William C. Morris White debut finalist, 2017 Stonewall Honor Book, When the Moon Was Ours, which was long-listed for the National Book Award in Young People's Literature, and was the winner of the James Tiptree Jr. Award, Wild Beauty, a Kirkus School Library Journal and Booklist, Best Book of 2017, Blanca and Roda, a New York Times Best Review Editor's Choice, Miss Meteor, co-authored with Taylor K. Mejia, Dark and Deepest Red, a Winter 2020 Indie Next List Selection, and The Mirror Season, which has recently received starred reviews from Kirkus Reviews Publishers Weekly Booklist school Journal, School Library Journal. Not that recently, I guess, but um, last year anyways. They are here to discuss their latest novel, Lake Lore, which is described as, in this young adult novel by award-winning author Anna Marie McLemore, Two teens are pulled into a magical world under a lake, but can they keep their worlds above water intact? Please welcome to the show, Anna-Marie Macklemore. Hi, Anna-Marie.
1: Thank you so much for having me and cumpleaños.
0: Um, We are going to have to pretend we weren't just talking for 45 <laughs> minutes. Um, we're, we're, we've, we've attached two interviews here and I greatly appreciate your time. Um, you're, you've been doing this for a while now. How do you feel about hearing your bio read back to you? I ask this all the time.
1: How do I feel about having my bio read back, read back to me? Um,
0: some, some, yeah. I'm going to be honest. I won't say names obviously, but some authors are cool with it. Some are not. <laughs> some aren't like, I don't mean they're not cool. Like they're angry. They're just, it's sort of uncomfortable or it's just, maybe, maybe it's just, you know, it gets repetitive and boring after a while. Right.
1: I think it's easier when I'm not on camera, when I'm on camera, mm. like I, I always appreciate um. I always appreciate someone like doing the intro. Cause I think um, so many of us dread that question. Like, so tell us about yourself. So I yeah, always appreciate. That's why I do else. it.
0: That's why I do it. Yep. Else doing it. Yeah. That's why I do it. And it's sort of the mandate for my, my podcast is I don't like to ask like those four or five questions that you get asked so many times. Right. Um, so I avoid those at all costs. If I absolutely can. So that's one of the reasons why I do it. So thank you for bringing that up. That's exactly why I do it to save you some of the work. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, I uh, i absolutely love, I absolutely love your work and Lake Laura is no exception. I'm so excited for people to read it. I, I just know, I mean, I've, I did manage to peek sort of online at some of the early, early, you know, feedback and uh, it looks like people feel the same way I do that they absolutely love this book. So, um, and thank you for releasing on my birthday. It's a special treat.
1: Oh, well, I will, I will pass on your, I will <laughs> pass on your thank you to my publisher who does all the magic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> My birthday is stacked this year. Actually, there's some really great, uh, really great releases on my birthday this year. I'm very excited about it. Um, but before we do get to Lake Lore, which will be non-spoiler, of course, um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about Self Made Boys, a great Gatsby remix. Because um, I'm fairly obsessed with these classic remixes. I don't know about you. I mean, you you re- you've written one, so you must enjoy them. Um, but each one so far has been a five star for me. Uh, like so many Beginnings, I, I'm I'm almost caught up. I've you know so many Beginnings, Clash of Steel, of course. I've read Travelers along the way as well. Um, I have what are what souls are made of uh, on my Kindle there. So I got to get to that here soonish. Talk to me, uh, talk to me about that, because that's a really, really cool. I'm so excited for this great Gatsby remix of yours. Um, Just sort of, I know, you know, we can't talk really too much about it, but maybe just talk about how it came into your life.
1: Well, first off, yeah. Aren't they, aren't they spectacular? Like all of them. Of- I
0: tell people that each one is a five-star kidding. read. <laughs> yeah, like it's crazy. They're yeah.
1: Incredible. I cannot, I cannot wait to read the next two and then the ones that come out after mine. I'm just, I'm so honored to be in this group of this, this group of authors. Um, they're just, they're so brilliant. And I'm, I am so excited to read more of these books. Um so yeah, fanboy moment. Uh, what was the question again after I, before oh, I how started? Just,
0: yeah, because I mean, we can't really talk about uh, any details, obviously, but um, maybe just talk about sort of how this came into your life and sort of what were your, what was your first thoughts? Cause I mean, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, Bethany and CB on the show and we were talking about this and you know, uh, right away, they sort of had some ideas about how, how they wanted to do it. And, and they had sort of some some things that maybe they decided that if it didn't, they weren't going to do it if they couldn't do it, say, their way or something, right? Well,
1: this is very timely because I just turned in my copy edits for self-made point. <laughs> <away.
0: laughs> perfect,
1: <laughs> perfect. In my, in my mind. Um, so when when Emily Settle was thinking about, um, Emily Settle is the editor, when Emily was thinking about these um, the series and these different reimaginings um, when when she approached me about doing doing Great Gatsby and approached me about being part of this this series, first of all, I was really excited to be part of to be part of the series um, and and I also loved um Loved the classic that she had that she had chosen for me. The way it's sort of like a little bit, a little bit behind the scenes. I think you probably know this from Bethany and CB already. Um, there's the part of the series is like Emily's like, this is what we imagine a, a potential title for you for you to do. If you don't want to do this one, we can talk about other potential titles for you to do. Um, and she had chosen great gatsby for me and i was like we're we're done yes that's the one i want to do <laughs> um so once once i said i forget when in the process but i basically said like you you know how like how like Latine and trans and queer this is going to be by the time I'm done with it, right? And Emily was kind of like, "Yeah, we kind of knew what we were getting with you. Like we we had an idea." Um, so I was like, "Okay, as long as we all know that." So I I immediately knew I wanted to write about um, transgender Jay Gatsby, and I wanted to I wanted to write about about gender identity. I wanted I wanted to write. Um, Nick Carraway as um, as being a Latino trans boy. I wanted to write like like angry Latina socialite Daisy. So I had these ideas, these ideas in my head, and I started going. Um, we were just talking a little bit in our last conversation that I know I need to pretend was at a different time. <laughs> and a different time. When we were talking about um, when we were talking about research. This was this was a very research heavy book and I loved, um, I loved doing the research for it. Um, I loved finding those little details, like going through, um, going, going through like advertisements and clothing catalogs to find things about this particular time period. And also, um, and, and also there was a lot of heartbreaking research that was a lot harder to do, like about, um, like about transgender soldiers, about underage soldiers, which, um, which if you check the timeline, that like Gatsby, Gatsby would have been during the during the war. Um, the way I the way I conceive of the timeline and the way I conceive of his life. So, when I was when I was writing this like this idea, I started um, when it was announced. I started having having readers tell me like. Yes, I I um, imagined um, Jay Gatsby is trans. Like he seemed trans-coded, and I and I thought, yes, this wasn't just me. This wasn't just me who thought this. Um, I also realized I wasn't alone in thinking that Nick was like in love with Gatsby because that's what I thought when I read this when I read this book as a teen. So getting to write about that and getting to write Nick as like openly in love with Gatsby on the page was. Um, something I was really glad that I got to do.
0: Yeah. That was one thing, you know, talking again to the previous authors and, and I do have, uh, I mean coming up on the show too, actually. So I'm very excited about that. Um, yeah, because these, these are classics. So, I mean, of course there's always, you can always go back to, you know, the source, source, source material, right? Like the first iteration of this story, uh, way back when, but there's been so many versions and takes since then. Right. And each one sort of varies, in a little bit doesn't it and each iteration of it and it's it's almost like and because your version is sort of an iteration of it as well it's almost like did you find or did you resist being sort of too handcuffed to the source material at all or were you comfortable enough with it that you didn't you know you weren't concerned about that
1: there were there were certain structural elements of the source material that I that I stuck with like Nick Nick is coming to New York. Um, he's trying to, he's trying to make his way in New York, but a lot of the underpinnings um, were different. Like Gatsby's reasons for going, for for going after Daisy, for trying, for trying to romance her are very different in mine. So some of the, some of the elements that we're familiar with, they're going to be, they're going to be there. Some of the, from the things that you think of with, um, with the great Gatsby, like these, these parties, some of the some of the plot, um, the plot points that that you might think of with with Great Gatsby, they're going to be there, but the reasons for them are going to be different. Their ramifications are are different, and also there was there was just some stuff that either needed to be needed to be cut out or that needed to be addressed because it was like it like I'm thinking I'm thinking especially of like like racism within the original. Um, mm-hmm. Anti-Semitism within the original, so there there were definitely things where I thought like, oh okay, this um this this needs to be addressed. This needs to be different. Um, so in that way, I wanted to make sure I was I was writing a story that both had a certain realism with the 1920s because this this does take place in the 1920s, but that was also going to be a safe space for for readers. Um, I, have a, I have a particular moment where, um, where Nick, who as I, as I mentioned is, um, is Latino, um, he, like someone calls him a racial slur. I don't actually put on the page what that, what that slur is. So making those kinds of choices, um, I wanted this to have a sense of realism, but also be a, be a place that felt safe for, for readers.
0: Um, I can't wait. I'm super excited. It's still fall this year, right? I haven't actually checked. Yeah. Yet. Like yeah. Oh, perfect. Um, cannot wait. Super excited. Like I said, I'm so in love with this remix series that they're doing and, and it's uh, I just, yeah, I'm just super. I remember reading just seeing the lineup of authors the first time and, and sort of talk what we were saying earlier about, I mean, there's, there's no fucking way they're going to like select these authors and then ask them not to be, be themselves right like to your point you know what i mean they're really fully expected to, to with the uh books they they got you know from everyone involved and that's exactly what they wanted and um it's it's yeah i just i'm so in love with the idea and i just, the results have just been so great i'm super excited so yes this fall uh something very much to look forward to um lake lore the summary anyone can find that online you can look it up please do um, and I'm not going to ask you what it's about. And to me, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to pull from Lake Laura. There's a lot of, you know, of course there's a ton of different themes and this stuff like this, but I'm a huge, I think I met, told this to you earlier. I'm, I read author's notes like crazy. I'm a huge author's notes person. I love it. I find sometimes in books, I learn the most from the author's notes than I did the actual book itself. <laughs> um, and you sort of start the author's notes off with like, there are three, you know, sort of, you mentioned sort of like three categories of people as far as neurodivergency is concerned. Um, and even though I read every author's note anyways, I guess I'm in the third category where, you know, I get to the end of the book and I'm dying to learn more about it because of your, because of your book. Um, I definitely took an interest. And what's great and what I love is that, you know, for me anyways, I'm only speaking for myself. You might be reading about a certain subject and we'll just say neurodivergency, is that you think oftentimes, you know, what you think you know is, is either flat out wrong waiting to be proven right. Or it's just the tip of the iceberg. Either way, I'm pretty fucking stoked, right? Because that means I get to learn something new. <laughs> so, did you have a goal in mind? Because this book deals with neurodivergency a lot. Was that the hope that somebody that you were sort of you know people like me say in the third category that you were you know poking us a little bit and saying hey like, um, go go learn something.
1: I think when I'm I think when I'm writing um, when I'm writing stories that. Have a central element of identity, which I, which I guess is pretty much all of the books I write, even if they're not even if they're not specifically about the identity. Like those I- identity elements are there. I think the first thing in my mind is um, trying to create a a story that's a safe and affirming space for anyone that's um, that's that's questioning or thinking about their identity, whether that identity is one. That is specifically discussed in the in the book or not. Um, so I was thinking a lot, especially about um, trans and non-binary readers, about um, trans and non-binary readers of color, about um, neurodivergent readers, and I also um, I also was very hopeful about the possibility that this could um, this could help readers who either aren't neurodivergent or who have a different kind of neurodivergence than um, these characters do also sort of have a sense of like, oh, so that's, um, that's what that feels like. Um, One of the things I'm thinking of right now in the writing process is I have a passage in um, Lake Lore that talks about Lore saying, okay, I can't, I can't tell anyone what dyslexia is like, but I can tell you what it's like for me. This is Mm -hmm. what it's like for me. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the first parts of the book that I wrote. And that was something that um, I don't, I don't usually like show my parents what I'm, um, what I'm writing or like read them anything of it um, early in the process. Usually they just like the book comes out and that's the first time they see it. But with (laughs) this particular, with this particular excerpt, my, my mom is dyslexic. And I wanted to share it with both of them and ask, does this make sense from both of your points of view? Mm -hmm. So that was a, that's a moment where I was thinking of where I really wanted to make sure that it clicked for someone within that experience and outside that experience. So that was, um, that was the first. And so far, that's the only part of Lake Lord that they've, that they've seen um, where they were, they both said like, yes, this, this, this makes sense. Um, my mom's saying, yeah, that, that reflects what my experience is too. And my dad's saying like, I, I now understand both of you a little bit better.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Are they just like, man, will wait for the hardcover," or like, what's, <laughs> or you just keep it from them until a certain point. Like if I'm they sorry, had asked they- if Sorry, as far as reading your book, if they asked you earlier on in the process, would you let them read it, or is this sort of part of your process?
1: I don't know. I think um, I used to share. I when there were physical arcs, I used to share. Um, I used to share the advanced reader copies with them. Yeah. But I don't. If they asked to see it earlier than that, I don't. I don't know what I would do. Right. Um, I'm not like I'm. I'm not sure they. I'm not sure that they would at this point because. I think one, they know that like, oh, my poor, my poor copy editors, like I was thinking of that <laughs> when I was turning copy edit. Like I just, I am so grateful for them yeah because I can read something. And I know this happens with everybody. You look at your own work long enough, you're not going to catch things. You're not going to catch substituted words. But I know that with the way dyslexia works in my brain, um, it makes it even harder. So I'm just so grateful um, for the for the people in publishing who, who look out for me that way. Um, right. and who are like doing that work that is, it's hard in general, but I right. think it's a special challenge with a brain like mine. Right. So, um, and I mentioned that because I think my, I, I think my, my mom, especially might be like, mm, I know how your brain works. Please don't show it to me. before it's <laughs> to it.
0: That's that's Yeah. Good for mom. Right. And, uh, yeah, because I have talked to other authors where, like, you know, they're two, three, four books in now, and the parents are like, nah, send me a hardcover." They're like, <laughs> "They're not interested in learning. because you know may, maybe less so." But to your point, um, yeah, these you know editing is it goes through a lot of edits sometimes, right? And uh, you know what they read now is not necessarily going to be how they read it later. So yeah, it's totally different. But was it? I, I it was in the author's notes, I think, where you mentioned it, it was your you know your parents or maybe your mom specifically did a lot of reading to you, right? When you were younger.
1: Yeah, they both did. They both um, did. Okay. Yeah. And I think they both needed to have a particular kind of patience with me because, um, because with my, with my dad, like, I think he, he probably had a kind of a hard time getting any sort of quiet reading time because I would just be like, what's your reading? And suddenly he's having to like read it out loud to me. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. and with my mom, um, it was, you know, it was hard for her to actually do the reading. So it was a, it was a great, it was a great gift to me that she was actually willing to like put herself out there and like read, like read to her kid out loud and be willing to be that fallible to your child.
0: And I very much love how that, that carried over into Lake lore because one thing Beth Jen and Laura aren't lacking is, is a good support system at home. Right. Um, and Beth Jen has got a nice group of friends as well who engage in a wonderful Star Wars conversation, by the way, for fans of Star Wars out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, Laura is 100% right, by the way, about <laughs> their choice and, and why. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about this before, but I get just, you know, maybe again, sort of, you could even do an abbreviated version, but just talk about, talk about sort of for your characters then for, for Bastion and Lore, how important that is that they have this support system because they, uh, this is a precarious time for both of them, right?
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's important to have a range of experiences on, mm-hmm. on shelves because mm-hmm. there are a range of, there are a range of experiences. Um, in this, like, in this book, like, what, some of the, one of the things that I like, um, I like writing when I can, when it feels true to the story. Because whether, like whether parents are supportive and accepting, that's gonna, that's gonna vary, just like it varies in real life. But when it feels true to a story, when it feels true to characters, I, I like writing parent characters that are supportive of, of their children's identities, of their children's different, um, different quirks of their brains even if they don't totally understand them. And sometimes they sometimes they understand them, they understand them firsthand, um, as with, as with Laura's mom. Um, sometimes they don't necessarily understand them firsthand. Um, Bastian's moms are very supportive of them working with their ADHD, even though they don't necessarily have that firsthand experience with it. So I wanted to write, I wanted to write these characters um, contending with Things that are that are internal and made external, which is kind of what happens in this um, the portal fantasy with the with the wor- world under the lake, um, and sort of their their internal their internal struggles becoming like external, like really inconvenient kinds of magic, um, and at the same time as they're having to contend with this, them having family and community members um, that, that either get it or are trying to get it.
0: Mm -hmm. There's a really cool aspect of this book. And we, again, we talked a a bit earlier about, you know, like the magical realism side of this book. And, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're big into science. So am I for sure. Um, but I, you know, also just love, you know, the fantastical side of things as well. And I don't necessarily always look you know we we, as a species we tend to try and explain away myth and lore right with reason or science it's just sort of how we're built um you know we as it feels like society just not leaving room anymore for magical things um talk about and i know you like to put a little bit of science in in your magical realism um Talk a little bit about that, injecting that story with, with a bit of both and, uh, you know, finding that balance and because you don't, I don't know if you want, I mean, you, you don't want the book to lean too much one way or the other, do you?
1: So I think of this, I think of this book as a portal fantasy and that's what I'm, that's, that's what I think is an accurate way of calling it. That's something that I, I love to call it because I really like portal fantasies, um, I I like a lot of different I like a lot of different genres I like reading all over the place, mm-hmm. um, but I would say that this is a magical realism influenced portal fantasy because you have that sort of um, magic as undercurrent that um, that isn't necessarily something that one person possesses so much as something that um, a group of people are going to have to deal with <laughs> because it's going to create problems, um, and that also is something that. Also, magical magical realism influence in a way that the magic is magic is talking to you. It's trying to talk to you and your and your communities, um, and it will do it alongs. It will do it alongside real things. It will do it alongside identity. It will do it alongside science. It will do it alongside the world that is actually there. It will um, it will take the world as it is, and also get get you to try to observe the world as it is differently, and observe yourself differently.
0: Mm. Uh, it's it, one of the things that, you know, you sort of help, uh, in, you know, you incorporate into this world is, again, we talked earlier about it and I'm going to screw the name up again. I'm sorry about the Albreyes. Um, are these, uh, you know, multi brightly colored Mexican folk art sculptures that you know, Bastion and their brother, you know, this is one of the things they have a few things they have in common. This is one of the things they do together is they, they craft these, um, these sculptures, right? I mean, it's, uh, and these are based on sort of like Chimera type things, right? Fantical, fantastical creatures. Um, talk about being able to infuse this story with, you know, the Latine influence. And uh, even though we sort of, you know, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, but, you know, especially with uh, with their brother, this idea that it's okay to, you know, show sensitivity, even though you maybe identify as masculine.
1: So one of the things with, that I, I wanted to, for there to be space for with, with Bastian and with their brother um, is one having this, um, this sense of there is, there is space for the side of you that is, um, that is artistic. Like this is a, this is a part of our heritage. This is part of, this is part of the traditions we've grown up among. So the sort of, the sort of doorway in, the kind of an, another kind of like uh, I, I guess sort of an internal portal is this is a way into this sort of the the artistry in you the part of you that is an artist and that being a door into it's it's okay to know you have feelings it's okay to acknowledge them um, and in fact you you're going to have to to be able to to go forward with them, to be able to live inside your own brain and to be able to live inside your own body and your own life.
0: One of the, uh, it's a, this is a, just a terrible quote from a film, but if everyone remembers the movie Philadelphia, they talk about the essence of discrimination, right? Sort of formulating opinions about others, not based on their individual merits, but rather on their membership in a group with assumed characteristics. Um, when we meet Lore early on, they're dealing with this, aren't they? Um, you know the book starts off for Lore being the victim. Yeah, lore is a victim of of some some you know, discriminatory action. Um, how much did you don't want to you don't want to give that too much attention, right? Sort of that you know that type of discrimination, but it's important that you include it because it would be dishonest, I think, if you didn't, right? But what was there a balance there? How much how much you know air? How much oxygen did you want to give this thing? What was your thinking uh, with that?
1: So, I wanted this to be a story where there was there was space for the full range of experience. I wanted the center of this story is about finding people and finding community that um that affirms you, that loves you, that celebrates who you are. And part of making that safe space um to me in this book also means leaving space for the fact that that's not always how it is right um the fact that we we face awful things in this in this world and i wanted i wanted to be able to acknowledge that part of that part of lore's history as something that they they need to they need to face um not so much face as in like this needs to be the center of your life because that's not that's not how it should be that's not how it's supposed to be but more like observing it in a way that lets them, um, lets them actually contextualize it as like, I, I wasn't the problem, even if I was made the problem. And I don't know how else to talk about that without giving, without giving spoilers, because this is a story in which so many things that are happening internally become external manifestations um, in magic, in this in this alternate world that is under the lake and then also comes above the surface. But that's that's something I wanted to leave space for in most right. character history.
0: Um, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, reading about this it really got me, you know, really keen on learning as much as about, you know, neurodiversity as I could. Um, and, you know, it came across this, there's all these sort of this data and stats about how, Uh, boys are three times more likely to receive ADHD diagnosis than girls are. Um, This is usually because uh, they say symptoms are more subtle and as a result, harder to identify in girls. And they say girls often display fewer behavioral problems and less noticeable symptoms. So oftentimes, you know, long story short, girls are overlooked when it comes to diagnosing ADHD and um, this can lead to, you know, inattentiveness and low self-esteem and other things. Uh, Is is there, was there anything that you experienced yourself that, you know, gives, lends that any, any credibility? And if so, did you, you know, that, cause that comes up in the book a little bit, but not, not a lot.
1: So I was diagnosed as an adult. Okay. Um, and I think when I think about that, it's, I'm trying to wrap, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Cause I, I certainly have friends that pattern with what you're talking about yeah. where um, it was, I, it didn't go diagnosed for a long time um, because they were thought of as just like kind of dreamier um, the, the kind of girl who's going to stare out a window or that kind of thing. Um, so a couple of things come to mind here. One, like these kinds of statistics are important Two, They don't leave a lot of room for non-binary identity. Right. Um, so one of the, and Another one of the things I'm thinking of is the fact that like, I'm, I, like, I definitely have a pretty strong H in there. Like I move, I move around a lot. I did as a kid. Um, So in a way, I think I pattern more with what is considered quote unquote boy ADHD. Um, So I think part of why I'm sort of at a loss for how to conceptualize this because I'm like I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and this gets kind of like Mobius strip like in terms of in terms of gender, in terms of um, in terms of societal expectations. But yeah, I've definitely heard um, I've heard a range of experiences there, um, and it's it's incredibly complicated. Like what goes into how we like how we as a society um, diagnose people and to what extent due to um, due to gender, due to perceived gender um, due to due to race, due to other aspects of identity, um, people are uh, people are diagnosed or not diagnosed, what things are underdiagnosed, what things are overdiagnosed. so it's something that's um, that's incredibly complicated and I I have some lived experience with it, but I also don't have like the zoomed out picture that I think mm-hmm. I would need to, to be able to fully talk about it.
0: Right. Yeah, I know. I like, I mean, I, I'm not certainly not an expert at all myself, not even <laughs> you know remotely close to it. Just in some of the reading, that was sort of one of the things that really stood out for me um, was, yeah, how it, it seems like, you know, girls are getting undiagnosed uh, completely um, because people just aren't able to recognize the differences between, between the genders in that sense. Right. When there was, when I guess when they are given just a binary choice, I suppose um, they're just not really great at, you know, recognizing the symptoms, the differences anyways. Um, this leads me to sort of like one of the, a, a line from the book too is like struggled, you know, struggle with the ordinary work of existing in the world. And let, you know, there's, you put so much great stuff in this with, um, you know, the, the things that uh, Bastion in particular does. Um, was, are, are these a lot of things like, um, whether it's sticky notes and clocks and stuff like this, things that you do in your own life, or is this just, you just inserted this in the book for, for, for Bastion's sake?
1: Oh yeah. I do a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, a this, lot, is, like, this, this is what uh, I'm
0: saying. And Maria, sorry to interrupt. Cause like you really like this book really does a great job of, of you know, putting us, you know, in, in the day in the life of somebody who's neurodivergent, whether it's ADHD and dyslexia and stuff like this. Right. In uh, lore as well. Um, Like, I just, I don't know. I feel like, like, I feel like it's just a really, 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 you know, sort of behind the curtain look and I really appreciated it.
1: Oh, thank you. I I appreciate you saying that. Um, I, so I did, I did something that I do a lot in books that, um, that reflect an identity that I have, an identity that I live, which is these, like these, these characters are not me, but I'm also drawing from my own experience and my own life to write what their lives are like. Um, so with with Bastian, like everyone's like everyone's coping mechanisms with ADHD, with any kind of um, with any kind of neurodiversity, they're going to be they're going to be different um, because all of our all of our brains are different. Um, all of us, whatever we have going on with our brains, we're going to have certain coping mechanisms. Um, to To live with them, to do that sort of that sort of work of daily life. Um, one of the things I wanted to I wanted to depict with with Bastian is something I I kind of experience with ADHD and is something that um, that I talked with about uh, with friends who also have ADHD and in, including um, including one of them who read for this for this book and she caught something that was really really important. Um, which is putting in more of the fact that like you need to change things because otherwise your brain just adapts to them. Um, like Bastian having having the different index cards around their room. Um, if they don't keep rearranging them and changing what colors they are, what shapes they are, they'll just stop seeing them. And I think that um, that happens to that happens to a lot of a lot of us, whether we have ADHD or not. Um, but for Bastian, who is externalizing so much of his executive function as a lot of us with ADHD have to, um, it's even more important that they have that they have to like, keep sort of keeping their brain engaged to actually like look at these reminders around their room.
0: A lot of, in this book, especially between them, there's this, this really great sense that there, of course there's, there's neurological difference, um, but whether, you know, Cass a white, Net Right. It's a huge spectrum. And that, uh, you know, this idea of problem solving, um, you know, if if a certain percentage, if 99% of neurologically identified people, you know, fail to solve a problem and one percent can, you know, that doesn't necessarily I think the idea is that no, there, no one's at a disadvantage just because they might be viewed as neurodivergent, whether they, again, whether maybe it's just dyslexia or ADHD and sort of to, to the quote earlier about giving somebody that, you know, that benefit of the doubt, not just thinking they're stupid or quiet or weird. Um, that there's a lot of that in this book that I, that I got anyways, it's, it's about, you know, we talked earlier about too, about, you know, not focusing on weaknesses, but focusing on strengths. Talk about that a little bit, and, and if that does mirror yourself at all, or anything you've experienced.
1: So, something I wanted to write about in this book is having having characters who who can celebrate and can acknowledge the um, the cognitive strengths that they have, even alongside um, things that are can things that are considered learning disabilities that make it harder for them to learn in um, in the in the ways that we think um, that we think kids "quote unquote" should learn, I wanted to have have space for that um, alongside the fact that like some things are just hard, um, and it's it's both. There are um, there are things that they're there are things that they're able to do because of how their brain works, um, and there are things where it's it's going to be harder. Um, they're going to need um, they're going to need certain help with it, certain or or certain external or externalization of executive function, whatever, whatever the the situation is. Um, so it was important to me to not have to not have a sense of 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 all or nothing, not to not have either like these, these characters are just are these characters are just constantly having trouble because of how their brain works, or these these characters are just constantly celebrating how their brains work because it's both, it's like, it's this sort of depending on the day, depending on the situation, depending on the brain space you're in, um, you can, you can be proud of how your brain works. And there are other times where you're, you're just going to be frustrated. Um, and that's okay. It's hard, but it's, it's also, it's also okay. Um, it's okay. If you cannot just, Flip that switch and suddenly decide that you're happy with how your brain works all the time, forever and ever. Because that's that's not really how we work most of the time. We can have um, we can have these sort of epiphanies that help us love ourselves and um, affirm ourselves and each other um, and love each other more. But these things are these things are a process, and they're not they're not a straight line. And I wanted to make sure I left space for that because that's that's so often what is involved in living inside our own brains.
0: Um, Bastion and Lord, I you know find each other in this book, and their relationship is so beautiful. Um, and it, I remember this line. I, I can't remember what book it's from. It's a while ago, and it's like you know the difference between having you know one friend and no friends is like the Grand Canyon, it's huge, right? Um, Bastion has some great friends for sure. Vivian, Maddie, and Sloan are all great. Um, You know, Lore is in a slightly different situation and sort of becomes this, uh, this found friendship, you know, with this group and they all treat them, you know, with respect. And a lot of it's because of, you know, Bastion is already there um because they you know they have a they have you know a fairly good understanding you know of of what bastion is like of course and and you know so sort of offer lore the same amount of respect right and understanding talk about sort of you know coming up with this relationship between the two of them and sort of what was important for you as you as we follow bastion and lore both of them through this like wonderful magical journey they go on for sure but there is this practicality to their you know to just to their friendship you know that has to sort of
1: come across in the book as well right Oh that quote that quote is so true about the difference between having no friends and one friend cuz um we I think we have experiences like that in our own lives we see it in stories where um you you have this you have this friend you have this person that you're close to and and you just don't you don't feel alone because you're not alone and you can you have you have the evidence next to you that you are not alone so we have these stories um we have so many beautiful stories about um, about like two close friends and sometimes it's and sometimes it's them against against the world um and we also have we also have stories where like you make one friend um like like Lauren Bastian and then suddenly like meet your like meet your other friends because these are my friends um and that's something that that patterns especially with my experience within um within the queer and trans communities because we are we are finding each other. We, we want to connect each other. Uh, we want to, um, we want to know each other and meet each other. So I think that was something, especially that was, um, that was in my head as I was writing this experience of like, okay, like we're like, we're friends. And also like, if you want more friends, meet, meet my friends that I've known for a while.
0: Um, the, uh, the sort of sappier YA version of me really loves, and that's not to, spoiler or say anything about what happens in this book because it's not not necessarily true but I just mean that and I just mean from a friendship point of view I love how gentle they are with each other I love how how considerate they are of each other and that's a big huge thing in this book that I love especially with the friend group and the parents the, how considerate people are with Laura Bastion um how important is that cause you don't always get to choose your, your family, do you? And, and it's, it's an incredibly tricky situation. It can get really fucked up real quick, but um, you know, was that, how important was that to you to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, the people that to me that you, you know, really center out in this book and make, you know, make the, the key players in this book are seem to be all very just kind, considerate people.
1: So I've written, I've, I've written, books in which, like, the main family is the family you grew up with, and I've written books where the main family is your found family, Um, and I also write books like this one where it's both. Um, Found family is, found family is just as important even if you have family that you grew up with who you're very, who you're very connected with, Um, and this is, this is the process of, of making and strengthening a community, um, whoever is, whoever is with you, whoever is in your corner, this is your community. So in, it's going to look different for, um, it's going to look different for every, for every one of us. Um, and it looks different in every book that I, that I write, but in this one, especially it's both your, it's, it's both the people that you grew up with who are willing to support you and love you. Um, and also the, and also the, the family that you find along the way who is willing to support you and love you.
0: Yeah. And that's like, uh, you know, the great perfect place to end it in the conversation, because yeah, that's, you know, what I left this book with a feeling of like, you know, just warmth and love and, you know, not to say all the world's problems are fixed <laughs> because, you know, because Lake Lore exists, um, life goes on. Um, but I just got a really good sense that, you know both Bastion and Lord, they're both going to be you know okay, and uh, I really appreciated about that. You know, sort of that sense that that you left me with that feeling that I left reading this book was that I just felt just warmer, better um, from having read this book and gotten to gotten to know both of them in a. And like I said earlier, like in a really intimate, personal way, like um, you really show us all their sides and. It's. It was really like I said. It was. It's. It's a remarkable read, and I really hope uh, people, you know, see it the way I do, and I think they will. Um, so that's just my way of saying, Anne-Marie, I just love this book so much. <laughs> so thank you so much for writing it, because like I said, I did go did. I learned more about executive function than I ever thought I would, <laughs> you know, learning, going down the research trail after and even like weird numbers, right? Like it's like the, you know, the prefrontal cortex is the last part of the brain to develop. Right. And, and for ADHD people, it's, there's a 30% delay on that. So it's, you know, even that is it's just an interesting thing to wrap your head around. Right. But um, yeah, I, like I said, I'm one of these people that like, will pick up on, pick something from a book and I'll just go down the rabbit hole. And that was, Uh, thanks to you, like I said, I was in the third category of your author's notes there. Someone who got to the end was just like, I need to know more because I care about these people now. And it's important that I learn more about them because if, if and when I do come across somebody in my real life who identifies any which way that Laura Bastion do in the book, it's important that, like I said, I at least meet them halfway. And yeah, and and that's you know because of you and Lake Lore and you know other authors too that, that have allowed me to do that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't thank you enough. And thank you, I've kept you long enough. Um, Lake Lore comes out March eighth. What uh, I'm sure you'll update all the social media feeds and everything else about what you got going on. Is it too early? Do you even know what launch events you got going on?
1: I don't know quite yet, but yeah. yes, I will. Um, I will have that. I will have that on Twitter. I will. I will have that on my website and I'm excited to share more about it. It's, um, as the, as the world we're in is right now, we, um, we kind of try to plan for the unplanable, and I, um, I'm very grateful to, to anyone who's doing that because I know it's, it's difficult work in general and especially right now
0: oh absolutely absolutely and i am going to uh beg you to come back later this year and talk to me about self-made boys so look for that
1: (laughs) oh thank you yeah
0: i'm so like well i got i can't break my streak now i'm gonna have everybody on that that writes those books so we can't break it now um but uh yeah again that comes out this fall your great gatsby remix self-made boys and everyone look for that um yeah, it's going to be a great year. So thank you so much, Anna-Marie and, um, enjoy your launch. Um, this is getting old hat for you. Is it getting old hat or is still, do you still get pretty, pretty geared up?
1: No, this is one of, um, this is probably one of the most in-depth conversations I've had about, um, about Lake Loris specifically. So you're kind of, you're kind of getting me, um, getting me into this headspace, especially, which I appreciate, especially after like, um, after going like deep into the 1920s. And <laughs> I have these are two, these are two very like for, for two books that are both very queer and very trans and very Latine, they're they're very different. So yeah. they're like having like having like portal, like portal magic that comes in and like comes out from under a lake and screws thing up cru- screws things up and the magic is the magic is everywhere and the magic has to be contained versus like 19 like 1920s New York.
0: Right.
1: Um, like there is there are there's a lot of there's a lot of glitter there's a lot of sparkle there's a lot of fashion but there is there is no magic so um so these these books are these books are very different so I appreciate getting into the head getting into the the lake lore the Lake Lore heads- Magic Headspace. Um, and I look forward to um, telling you probably more about my research process than you ever wanted to know when we talk about self-made noise.
0: Bring it on. I'm ready. I'm excited. Yeah, I won't shy away from it. Um, Anne Marie, thank you so much. And then please enjoy the rest of your night. There you have it. Another episode of Everything is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Anne Marie for taking the time to chat with me all about Lake Lore and their great Gatsby remix. I can't wait. Lake Lore is out now, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to AnnamarieMacklemore.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to Centrelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now.